All right, this morning you can turn to James chapter 1 in your Bibles. James chapter 1. My heart resonated with one of the pastors. We were going back and forth through texts about whether we should be worshiping, whether we could worship today with the weather. And he said something to the effect of, uh, we just got to get the brothers and sisters together to sing together and to be able to rejoice in Christ together. And so I'm, I'm so glad uh, that that was able to occur and that we're able to sing together. There'll be another song I will sing afterwards and we'll be able to enjoy fellowship after uh, the service as well together today. I have to admit though, when we were deciding to move the service to 2 p.m., I had a few, you know, uh, I don't know if they're flashbacks or whatever, fears that I'd be preaching myself with a camera again. Uh, so I'm, I'm just delighted to see that uh, you were able to, uh, I guess you, you didn't really have anything else to do today, right? Uh, <laughs> I mean, this is the Lord's Day, and we like to gather uh, to worship and serve Him on, on this day of the week uh, and to look forward to His soon return. Uh, as we look at James chapter 1, I want to start by looking at verses 19 through 27. I want to read the whole passage with you at the beginning. I sometimes don't do that at the beginning of a sermon, but I want us to think through this text together, and I want us to hear the whole thing and to consider how it, it, uh, how it relates to, uh, how the whole text relates to each other. Look at verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person... Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle the tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. When we read that text and you hear it, what do you think about that passage? I wish we were a little smaller groups, so we could have lots of interaction on this passage today, but what, what do you think of when you hear this passage? Perhaps you think these are some very good verses, good parts, good bits of wisdom. We like places in the text where it says things like, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. I mean, some of us might even have that in on a sign in our kitchen or something like that. We love that part of the passage. We love, uh, we love the text that says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. We like parts of the text that, that talk about visiting orphans and widows in their affliction or perhaps keeping ourselves unspotted from the world. 
Yet I think we often think of this passage as disconnected bits and pieces of wisdom. Instead, as we look at this text today, I want to demonstrate to you that I think that James clearly develops his ideas in this passage and that he emphasizes one important foundational admonition to Christian readers. Now, as we get into the passage today, again, there's a handout that might help you take notes or you can think through it in that way. Um, as we begin, I want you to first draw your attention just very briefly to the background of the book of James. We need to understand the point that James makes in this passage, and we have to remember that every letter in the New Testament is occasional. That is, there was an author, and that originally he, he addressed an audience. He had uh, original readers that he was thinking through, and so he writes this letter for them. I think oftentimes we fail to, to really think about that, especially with two of the epistles. In my experience, I think sometimes people do this with Romans, and sometimes people do this with James. We do this in Romans because it's so deep, so theological, so dense, it's so hard to keep in mind the fact that Paul wrote that letter to a real group of people, and he had a specific purpose in writing that 16-chapter epistle. But I think we do the same thing with James for a different reason. James is so mysterious to us, so uh, ancient in its form and style, so different and unique that sometimes we fail to consider that there was a real author behind this book and that he was addressing a specific reader, original reader. And so I want to briefly consider James and his original readers so that this text makes a deeper impact on us. The letter of James is the very first epistle written chronologically in your Bible, probably written in the mid-40s, maybe just 10 years or so after Jesus ascended up into heaven. James, the author, is the half-brother of Jesus, and another thing we know about him is he was the leading pastor of the church of Jerusalem. You could go to places like Acts chapter 15 and find out or read about that. Leading pastor of the churches of Jerusalem. James writes this letter to Jewish believers who have been scattered from Jerusalem into likely to parts of northern Palestine and Syria because of persecution. If you read James 1, verse 1, you see that right at the beginning. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are scattered abroad. Okay, so I think that the situation behind this letter is, is like this. James writes this letter to Jewish believers who've been scattered. They've been relocated because of the persecution that's faced the church at Jerusalem. You can read about this in places like Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, where it says that Saul consented to the martyrdom of Stephen, and then Luke said that there was a great persecution that came on the churches of Jerusalem, which pushed normal believers, uh, other than the apostles, pushed them out of Jerusalem and scattered them all around the place. And so when we read this epistle, we need to keep in mind that James was likely their pastor, and as their former pastor writing to Jewish believers who are now scattered all over the place, he writes this a letter to encourage them. And I think he especially writes this letter to encourage them to remain steadfast under trial. 
And you can see this in the first and last chapter of the book. Look at James 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. Go down to verse 12, James 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains, what? Steadfast under trial. James, their former pastor, is writing to some of his congregants who are scattered all throughout northern Palestine and Syria, and he's writing this letter so that they would be encouraged to remain steadfast under trial. This theme is returned to in James chapter 5. Go to James 5, verse 7. Verse 7 there, near the very end of this epistle, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Skip down to verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained what? Steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate. And merciful. James, their former pastor, writes to them to encourage them to remain steadfast under trial. And I think this theme affects every section of the book of James, including James 1, 19 through 27. So let's dig into these verses. We won't be able to look at everything in them, but we'll dig into them, and we'll keep in mind the context of enduring trials with steadfastness. Okay, so as we jump into James chapter 1 and verse 19, uh, the first point that James will emphasize is a foundational commitment that he expects of them during the trial. Look at verse 19, James 1, 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. In verse 19, James starts with an important call here. He gives two commands. This is unusual for him to write it this way. He says, know this, that's a command, and then he says, let every person be. To draw their attention to this even more clearly, he gives them the address, my beloved brothers, which in writing is like me telling you, men and women, or brothers and sisters, pay attention. He says, my beloved brothers. After grabbing their attention, James gets to the point. He demands that his readers, his Christian readers, maintain three fundamental Christian commitments. They must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. But what does that mean? What's he getting at? And why does he use those three admonitions? And so I want to answer just a few questions here about verse 19 briefly before we explore it in the rest of the text. The first question is this, what do these three phrases mean? Just briefly, it, it, first, he says, quick to hear. What does that mean? Is this a proverbial statement about the value of listening to others? You know, my friend or my neighbor, you know, is this, is this communicating the idea that I need to keep my mouth shut more than, uh, than I do keep my, er, I'm sorry, yeah, keep my mouth shut more and listen, listen a lot. Is that, is that what this is talking about? Um, uh, many people think that this is speaking of a general attitude of being ready to listen to the wisdom and opinion of others. Instead, I think James has a certain kind of hearing in his mind that he will explore later on the passage. And we're going to return to it, but just, just for now, 
know that James says his first admonition, be quick to hear. He, he wants us to be ready to hear something. Okay, and we'll hear more about what that is later. Second, he says, be slow to speak. Slow or reluctant to speak. But of what kind of speaking is he describing? Again, is he just telling us to avoid hasty talking? Like the proverb, Proverb 29, verse 11. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Okay, is that, is that what this is talking about? Is this just, you know, the value of not saying very much and getting yourself into trouble? Is that what he's describing? Or is there something more to it? And again, I think there's something more to it. And we can begin to see that in the next description when he says, be slow to anger. Here, I think it's important to remember who James is writing to. He's writing to people who've been relocated and they're being greatly mistreated. In James chapter 2 and James 4, we find out that rich, rich people were oppressing these poor Jewish believers who were scattered away from their homes. These rich people were refusing to pay them for labor, and they, they had no food, so that they had no food for their mouths or the mouths of those in their family. And so James, a former pastor, has already told them how to think, to count these trials as pure joy. Now he tells them what to do. There's a little, uh, in the handout, if you have that, there's a, a little uh, green section that I think is important for the book of James, or especially James chapter 1. My opinion, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 18, James is telling them how to think about trials. Count it all joy, because God is doing things through these trials for you, and, and then uh, he moves on in verse 12. Not only is he doing that, he gives him eternal reason for thinking of trials as joy. Uh, because when you endure, you'll receive a crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them who love him. Verses 2 through 18 are about how to, uh, how to think, but in this text, it's about what to do in the middle of trial. What to do in the midst of it, and what not to do. They must not quickly resort to anger. They must not let anger well up in them or let anger work itself out in their circumstances. That's the foundational commitment. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now, the rest of the passage elaborates on those three foundational Christian commitments. That's how this all holds together. This foundational call to three Christian virtues is so important for James, he takes the rest of the, of the chapter to tell you more about it. And so the call to be slow to anger is taken up in verse 20. Look at verse 20. Verse 20, it says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So verse 20 is an elaboration on why we must be slow to anger. But then the call to be quick to hear. Remember he started this whole thing with that, be quick to hear. The call to be quick to hear is picked up in verse 22. So look in your Bible at verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Continue verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer and not a doer, Hear the word, and not a doer. He is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. And continue in verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, 
the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Verses 21 through 25 are about what it means to be quick to hear. Okay, so James gives this kind of header at the beginning, three-part header. Be slow to anger. He'll tell you about that in verse 20. Be quick to hear. That's verses 21 through 25. And then you would think, well, he forgot one right here, right? Be slow to speak. Where does he return to that? Look at the beginning of verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his what? His tongue. So he returns to tell you, give you more information about being slow to speak. Okay, so I want to just very briefly go through each one of those with you and make some points that I think will be important for us when we're in the midst of trial. He starts with being slow to anger. Look at verse 20. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Foundationally, verse 20 is a reason why they must not be quick to get angry when they're in the trial. As James's readers passed through the significant trials that they were experiencing, some of them thought inappropriately about it. They did not consider trials as pure joy. Instead, they began to feel anger they were drawing, uh, they're becoming more and more frustrated by what they were experiencing. And from a human perspective, I mean, the thought that you go and you work, I mean, you've been dislocated from your home, you go to a foreign place, you work all day out in the field, and the rich person who owns the field won't even pay you so that you don't have money to provide food for your family. You could see from an earthly perspective how it might be easy to get quick to anger. But James reminds them here, you cannot be quick to anger in the midst of this difficulty and trial. And the reason he gives here for this is because man's anger does not produce or work out God's righteousness. James is making an important point here that human anger does not produce behavior that pleases God. Violence, scathing speech, murder, they all come from anger. While those sort of things might appease our anger, our boiling anger, it will not be behavior that pleases God. This is why we must be slow to anger or to allow anger to work itself out in our responses. Now, we might want to try to make a case for legitimate expressions of anger or righteous indignation. And perhaps you can do that in certain places from the Bible, but I think often that's just a loophole for us to kind of salve our conscience when we have exploded in anger. As I think of this passage, I think verse 20, I mean, how powerful is that phrase? Just stop and... Think about it. I mean, you've heard that phrase multiple times, but have you really thought about it? For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That is a powerful expression. That comes from 
James under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. And it should meet us in our own trials. So the old preacher, pastor, James, says, slow down in your trials. Slow down your anger. Anger won't bring about what God wants from your life. But then he advances to something that will bring about what God wants from your life in trial. So we move to the second expression about being quick to hear. Look in your Bible at verse 21. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now in this part of the text, James is not calling us to be good listeners. Good listeners to uh, our neighbor's words, or co-workers, or parents' advice, anything like that. There could be other places in Scripture that would encourage us to do that. Instead here, he's telling us to be good listeners to the Word, the Word of God. When in the trial, James doesn't want you to run to what others would say about how to deal with your trial. He wants you to run to God's word and be quick to hear it and receive it so that you would be able to endure this in a righteous way. To see this more closely, I want to answer three questions just very briefly about uh, this part of the text uh, first question we answer is, what is the word that he says we need to be quick to hear? And you might think that's a very easy answer, and in some sense it is. It's the word of God. But I think we can go a little bit more deeper than that. We can go get a little bit more clearer in this passage about what word he's talking about. So if you look at verse 21, James attaches an adjective to the word. He calls it the implanted word. But that's strange, right? God has planted or implanted his word into something. But what is the word? Well, in my opinion, if you look up to verse 18, you can see what word he's describing here. Verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. As you look at this passage, uh, we, we know theologically at one time we did not have any desire for the word of truth. We did not want it. We didn't have ears for it. But then God acted through his own will. And as verse 18 says, he brought us forth by the word that is truth. In other words, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and he made us alive with the word that is truth. Now look again at the end of verse 21 to see what this word is able to do. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creature. That's verse 18, I'm sorry, verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I want to ask you, and this time I'll let you uh, please give feedback. Please answer this question. What word from God 
What word of truth or implanted word is able to save your soul? Jesus Christ. And especially the message of his death and resurrection, which we call the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when I'm thinking this passage, what is the word that's implanted that is able to save your soul that he's describing? I think he's re referring specifically to the gospel that God implants into believers when they're converted. That's the word. Well, secondly we ask, answer this question, what must we do with this word in the text that we're studying here? James's answer is that we need to be good hearers and doers of it. That is, being quick to hear the word means that we do it. We live in conformity to it. And he gives us a good picture here of why that's important. He gives a picture of a man or a woman who looks into the mirror and sees himself or herself clearly, but then does nothing about what he or she sees in the mirror. And the point of the metaphor is we must not hear the words that come from God without changing what it reveals to us about ourselves. So in a moment of application here, I, I think that the, the point is we must not just be text people. We talk about you know, loving the text of Scripture, being word people, but we need to be text doers. Imagine the day when you stand before the Lord someday and he asks you, what did you do with my word? Well, one way we can answer that question is, you know, I paid attention in every sermon and Bible study I've ever in. I took notes, copious notes. I wrote some of those in my Bible. I devoured the word of God. But then imagine God saying this to you. Yeah, but what did you do with my word? What did you do with it? How did you practice it? How did you apply it to your life? How did it change your behavior? And I think that's the point that he's making here. In the seminary, we allow students to take classes for credit or to audit classes. And there's a, you know, among the students taking it for credit, there's a kind of a bad attitude about auditors sometimes. You think about that at an academic level, it's kind of good. You get all of the benefits, all of the lectures, all of the discussion. You can give discussion, you can get all this, but you don't have to do any of the work. No papers, no projects, no presentations. I think James has no category for a spiritual auditor here who just sits in church, gets all the information, closes his Bible, takes notes, closes his Bible, and then does nothing with it. No, he's concerned that we would not only be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And so that's what we must do with it. Now, why should we obey the word? Why should we put it into practice? Well, in this text, he gives us one good reason here, and it's in uh, verse 21 as well. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Actually, it's, it's a little bit later in the text. It's actually at the end of verse 25. It says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So one of the reasons he gives here for why we should, why it's important for us to be obeying the word and doing it is we will experience the blessing of God in our doing of it. I like how the ESV translates this here. He could have talked about like eternal blessings that we receive for obeying God, but I think specifically what he has in mind here is the, the blessing that we receive from God when we are applying the word 
to our lives, even in the midst of trial. I want to illustrate this in two ways to you today. First of all, I, I remember uh, when, as a young, young man, a young teenager, someone taught me how to share my faith in Jesus Christ, how to witness to others. There are a lot of different ways you can witness. You can go to your neighbors, you can go to your friends, you can tell people at work about the Lord Jesus Christ and explain what he's done. In this particular case, I had a, an older man want to take me uh, to visit some people who had expressed interest in the Word of God. They'd visited our church, and they said they wanted to hear more about the gospel of Christ. And so as a young man, young teenager, I went with him, and we went basically door to door to people who had done this. And, you know, as a teenager, I have to say that in advance of those opportunities, there was a lot of fear and dread. I'm like, oh, I just don't want to do this. I have no idea what to expect on the other side. I don't know how the person's going to engage. I don't know if they truly are interested. What if we get the wrong door? But while doing it, in most cases, and seeing God at work through his word, I'll have to say I was very blessed in the doing of it. Or afterwards, knowing that God could implant the gospel in the life of someone. You ever been there before? You know you needed to do something spiritually. You really didn't want to do it. But then when you were in the middle of the process, you were blessed in the doing of the word. I thought of another example here, and uh, I want to bring you uh, a little bit of correspondence I had with Brother Hal just a few days ago. And I want you to hear this. I think it speaks to his testimony, his love for the Lord. He said, thank you, Pastor Brent, for your prayers. The Lord is seeing me through, yet oh, he is so good. Many chances to witness in the hospital. The caregivers, nurses, and doctors are very special. And I'm letting them know how much the Lord loves them. I'm asking them if they know Jesus as their Savior. And then I tell them about his shed blood on the cross for their sins. Maybe this is why the Lord has me here at this time in my life. Praise the Lord. Yes, everyone stand up and praise the Lord. I think Hal knew in these final moments the blessing of doing and obeying the Lord, putting the text to practice in his life. And I know he experiences that blessing today. This is so important for us colonials. Do you hear and obey the word of God? As I was reading through this text, I couldn't help but think that James likely has the sermon of his brother Jesus on his mind. You remember the Sermon on the Mount? You remember how Jesus closed that great sermon? He closed it with a blessing and a warning. Listen to these words. Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock and the rains fell and the flood came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. That's the person who hears Jesus' words and does them. But then he closes, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rains fell, 
the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. I ask you, Colonial, are you quick to hear and to do the word of God in the midst of trial? I've got one other thing I want to point out to you and that's an important Final important elaboration, he then gets into a discussion of what it means to be slow to speak. Look in your Bible, verse 26. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit orphan and orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from this world. The main point of verses 26 and 27 has to do with the word religious. That word is used three times here. Uh, As far as I can see in the rest of the New Testament, it's only used two times. And in any other place in the New Testament. And so if we're going to understand this text, we've got to understand what the word religion, religious means. Now when we hear the English word for religious, we sometimes think of it in a negative way. Established religion or something that's not genuine. But that's not James' point here. He's not using it in a negative way. It's a positive way. He's talking about authentic Christianity or worship. And he's expressing to us a few important points about authentic worship and what it looks like. For sake of time, because I haven't preached for a long time, I've gone over time today, I'll summarize. I think he, he demonstrates that authentic religion expresses itself in three ways in this passage. First, it includes visiting orphans and widows in their affliction. This speaks of more than occasionally visiting them. The English word word visit, uh, perhaps a little confusing, that the original word is connected to the word for overseer. It speaks of looking out for or looking after someone. So authentic worship cares, looks out for, orphans and widows. And I think these two are emphasized because they're examples of those who are vulnerable. Think about it. If you, if you are struggling to get enough food from the, for the mouths, for your own mouth and the mouth of your family, and James says, you need to care for orphans and widows too. He's demonstrating that this is what Christianity looks like. He moves beyond that and he says it also involves keeping ourselves unstained from the world, pure from the world, and then finally that it, it demands bridling the tongue in verse 26. So if we want to know what is the right way, what does the word look like when it's going through a trial, this is what it looks like. Visiting orphans and widows while you're in the trial and being pure, unstained from the world, and uh, bridling the tongue. And so authentic Christianity puts, Christians put bridles on their tongues so that they remain steadfast. They do not complain about their trial by God's grace. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, they do not vent to others about the trial. 
as God enables them, they do not slander or gossip to others about the trial. No, they control their tongue through the power of the Spirit. Can imagine how hard it would be for these early believers who've been sent away from their home to control their tongue and not complain. It's actually something that James later will say would be impossible to bridle the tongue. And that is to say that we need God and his grace to enable us to bridle the tongue in the midst of trial. So the old preacher James says, slow down. Slow down in your trial. Slow down your speech. Bridle it. Today we've learned more about how to approach trials. The text says, let every person... Every person, be quick to hear the word of God, slow to speak, slow to anger. When the difficulties come into our lives, may we practice James's one important foundational admonition, to listen over and over again to God's word, to bridle our tongues, and to reject the anger that will never produce God's righteousness. Let me ask you to stand as we close. I'll close us in prayer. I will ask the instrumentalist if you come and prepare to lead us in that one last song I promised the congregation here today. But let me close us with a word of prayer and then they'll lead us in our final song. Father, I thank you for James chapter 1. Uh, it's a constant reminder to me of the necessity to endure trials in the right way. God, we know from the rest of Scripture that none of us can do this in our own strength. We cannot control our own appetites in these ways. We cannot be committed to quickly hear and obey the word. We cannot be slow to anger apart from your Holy Spirit's enablement. And so today we pray that you would enable us as a body to do this. Lord, help my brothers and sisters who perhaps are enduring their own set of trials to respond in this way to the gospel of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.